1: check for monsters honey there's no such thing as monsters (coughs) so what happened to me
0: honestly we're not sure
1: can't find any other cases like mine in any of the medical journals where did you get those bruises
0: And welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Pekovic, and this is episode number 458. Out now on Amazon and releasing September 16 on Google and Tubi is Surrogate, an Australian-made horror that stars Kesti Morassi as a single mother who must fight against an evil spirit that has targeted her family. A genuinely creepy ghost story that features terrific performances and a contender for scariest scene of the year, Surrogate is also the debut feature film of David Willen, who is joining me right now on the podcast. David, how are you today?
1: I am great, and thank you for having me on, Matt. Really appreciate it.
0: Not at all. It's, it's so great to have you here. I was saying to you um, off air just how much I really loved Surrogate. and It's really interesting reading up about this film. This is something you co-wrote with Beth King. She's a screenwriter's work mostly in TV. She did, like, Nowhere Boys and Neighbours and, the, and a couple of other stuff as well. And from what I what I read or, or what I heard, you guys did like a brainstorming session like a few years back. You knew you wanted to do a horror film just in the, what at, at that moment. So you both sat down, had a, a bunch of ideas, and the one that really spoke to you was what Surrogate became. So what was it about the idea for Surrogate that really spoke to both of you that you knew that this would be the film that would do kind of be your, not only your debut feature, but of those six, seven ideas was the right one for that time to go ahead with?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, some of those ideas just, they... Um... Uh, we explored them and they just didn't have the potential for a feature film. So some were d- sort of dismissed or put to the side quite quickly, um, whereas there was about three or four that, that really had a potential for for a full feature film. And sorry, I think it was just as we started to explore the ideas, it was very, you know, rudimentary when we first came up with the initial idea. And the more we explored and delved into it, it was not only we saw the potential in, in the story, um, but we're quite excited about, you know, what the key, the hook of the film was and how this, this, um, this ghost works within the context of the story and the main mm. character's lives. Um, and, you know, as we fleshed it out and played around with it, we changed a lot of things from the initial screenplay draft. Um, and it's just as that momentum built on it, we just, you know, saw the potential more and more for how well it could work.
0: I know that you've talked about influences. I'm not going to go too far down that road. I know you said, like, Exorcist and the others and a couple other films as well. I think, you know, people can, like, you know, take pick, in, pick the movie apart and, and talk about the influences. What I think is a major influence from those films on your film, Surrogate, was that... You put in the work in regards to the characters. One thing that I think people, you know, Exorcist is one of my favourite films of all time and the criticism that people have of it is it's too slow at the start and I'm like, that's ridiculous. You need to put the timing, the characters in the setting so when shit does hit the fan, you have stakes in the story. And I think that's something that you did really, really well with what was happening in, in Surrogate as well. I mean, the character of Kirstie, we know we find out about her what her situation is, is the the relationship with her daughter, and then things start to kind of like unravel and come apart. How important it was for both you and Beth to make sure that those stakes were in play, that the characters were built, in that the world building um, was 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 there before anything kind of you know horrific or, ho- or horror centric um, takes place.
1: Yeah, and it's it's interesting. So, it, the Exorcist is extraordinary. I mean, I don't find it boring at all. It, it's so well acted, directed um, and written in that, that first third. Um, and I think sometimes people mix up, you know, character development with this current slow burn where nothing is actually happening. But right. to me, so much is happening in in the exorcist. I mean, you've got a, a priest grappling with his faith and a mother trying to um, work out what's happening to her, her daughter that's getting progressively worse. Um, so yeah, I was inspired, well, we're inspired by just the quality of drama in that. And for us, it was really about the setting at the start was grounding the story. Um, horror films work best, for the most part, when they have a grounded setting and then the yeah. horror comes into it. So we sort of went, well, we need a, you know, it's an everyday house. As I said to the the production crew, the Ben the cinematographer, Biancrow production designer. You know, at the start, it's not a haunted house film. So we need to ground it in reality. Um, and so there was that component to the the grounding the setting in the reality. And then Beth and I always come, you know, from a story and particularly Beth from a character point of view. So we went, you know, how do we develop these characters in a way that when the events start happening, we care about them? Uh, but it's also consistent with what's happening. A lot of horror films, and I don't mind that that, but a lot of horror films will go, we just need a basic setup and put a few people in a situation so the horror mm. and gore can happen to them. Um, whereas we really wanted that really solid story and the character development um, to progress through it so yeah we spent a lot of time focusing on those aspects
0: so important is the casting of the lead role of Natty Natalie and kesty just a fantastic job there because it's not only an emotional performance there's not only things that are happening internally as well but there's a physical aspect as well you put her in a fruiter ringer in some in some scenes there's a one, one particular scene which features a lot of blood um, um, but it's like the way that it's done, um, it's horrific but it's also there's a kind of like a very again a very grounded kind of aspect in. I'm not going to say what it is but it's something that maybe some people might some women might watch and have some some sort of um uh, uh find it relevant in some way one way or another especially in regards to what's happening with her when it comes to kesty de- dealing with those kind of scenes in, in the, the emotional turmoil turmoil that the character's gone through what type of conversations do you have in regards to that um do you have Rehearsal process? Do you talk about backstory? How does it all kind of come together?
1: Um, Yeah, we spent her her performance is incredible in the film, not just from an emotional but physically. I just realised how good an actress she is on expressing not only just on her face emoting emotion, but those physical requirements. Um, You know, she's really talented at that, and she just she worked very hard, very professional actress, and. We spent a lot of time, so when she had the, the screenplay, we had a lot of Zoom meetings because she was based in Sydney at the time, right. just discussing, discussing the character and the story, and particularly that the key to her is that she's someone who's sceptical and we have to chip away at that scepticism until she can't deny what's happening any longer. Um, so part of it was just talking about the progression of what her character was doing, um, how that fitted into the story. Uh, from the emotional Point of view, we I mean, once we get into rehearsal, it's about the actors first of all just becoming comfortable mm-hmm. with each other. And I knew that with uh Kesty and Tayshia, who was Tayshia was playing Kesty's nine year old daughter in the film, yeah. the early rehearsal period was just about those two connecting. So we would just play games and nothing, we didn't talk about the script and rehearse scenes, we just play games and do little bits and pieces because I knew once those two connected that they could emotionally trust each other. And then it's just about playing the scenes because the emotion's in the scene. Um, And then when so we had a very good rehearsal period. And then when you get on set, it's really that process of as you're shooting it, you know, um, which bits to give direction, how you create the atmosphere when it needs to be an an emotional scene. And with each actor, you're working out what makes them fire, what they require um, to get to where they need to be. And, you know, part of that is with Kirsty, with her big emotional scenes, and there's a lot of them, that she, you know, music is how she was accessing emotions. So leading into that, I would be like, just give her a bit of alone time, you know, she would go off somewhere and listen to her music and start to get that process happening. Um, and the other part we also did a lot on set was just roll the camera and just say, you know, when you're ready, go into that that mm. moment and give her however long she needed um, to, to get those emotions boiling um and and finally when they're emotional sometimes you can do the annoying direction that actors sometimes don't like but you can say okay just one more now go mm. just one more go. once you do that four or five times they start to get very frustrated um but they're getting more worn down emotionally take by take
0: do you usually find that when you're doing uh, multiple takes that usually the first and second is all you need or do you find what you need usually uh, later on in late with later takes
1: um, it'll vary greatly, you know, sometimes you can get, there's a few types of facts that we use in the film, other times it might be, um, you know, the third or fourth take, a lot of times we, we didn't go into necessarily, you know, we weren't getting into eight, nine, 10, 11, that's yes, a lot of, um, but yeah, it, it'll kind of vary and sometimes it's just you run another take to try something different or, or 90% of it's good, but you, give a key piece of direction and play it again. Um, but, yeah, I was saying to someone it would be an interesting exercise if a film was only the first take of every mm-hmm. every scene and every shot because, um, you know, some of them they're just understandably for, you know, that's why we have takes, some of them are weak off off the bat and sometimes they'll know that, you know, an actor will write and go, ah, can I do that again? You know, so they know they've just, they're not in it yet.
0: Something's really interesting about Surrogate is that you have in the cast, three nine-year-olds. The nine-year-old girls are playing really prominent parts in it. And to me, when I was thinking on this morning, actually, it almost seemed like there was a, like a trinity of the three, and they all kind of play different roles that all to kind of interact with each other. So you have Tasha, who plays um, uh, Kesty's daughter. She's the tormented. And then you have the yeah. ghost, who's the tormentor. And then you have the conduit between them both, which is Ali. She plays some Ava, who's kind of like this spirit medium kind of which is really interesting in that she's like really young usually it's like an older person or something like that that does that kind of thing the three of them kind of how they kind of work together and it's kind of almost kind of symbiotic kind of relationship that's really kind of interesting is that something that really came about organically is that something that you and beth really just really worked on in the screenplay
1: um yeah it's it was um going into casting i suddenly had a moment when i'm like oh my god i need to find three seven to ten year old actresses that can can pull off the roles because they're all quite Quite demanding for different reasons, and um, um, and it yeah, it was quite conscious in terms of comparisons of essentially children at the same age playing different functions. And we even for the Averol did uh, cut, in auditions had some younger boys come through because we mm. really thought it was more about the age and the function they were playing. And I like that you said normally it's an older woman doing. Yes. Because I actually said in the meeting, the first draft we didn't have and then we realised for a bunch of story reasons we needed uh, that scene and I said to Beth, it's like it can't be an old gypsy woman with a Ouija board.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, when we we hit onto this idea that, like, let's make it a young girl, it became a nice comparison to uh, to uh, Tasha in the story because they're very different characters and people at the same age. Um, and then there's the classic, yeah, when you have, Three works really well in, in storytelling. So you have yes. a, a third, third representation of a child. Um, so, yeah.
0: The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by T Public. T Public is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, T Public is sure to have something you will love. I think it's really interesting about your movies. It's not. The things that you know you do do that is compared to other kind of films is what you don't do to make it your film stand out from other movies. We talked about one of them, which is the like the old gypsy woman being the kind of the medium. What have what have you? The other thing that you don't do is that you don't have the Ouija um, the board kind of scene, kind of thing. What you have instead is this really interesting thing that I didn't know existed. So I watched your movie, in this scene. It's kind of like a séance scene, I guess. It might do, might, you might say. It features Ava sitting down with a mirror on either side of her, and she kind of evokes the spirit. and the mirror plays a role in its kind of it, people. You all have to watch it to see it because it's one of my favorite scenes in a horror film I've seen this year for sure. Um, It's actually based on this kind of like this paranormal game called um, that I think it's the Three Kings I got here. So for people who don't know, this this became kind of like quite an online like YouTube kind of thing. I think like maybe five, six years ago where um YouTubers would sit down in a room. It has to be specifically at 3.30 in the morning for some reason. Um, they had to have like some type of doll. They had to sit down and have the mirrors and they try to conjure some type of spirits. Never knew this thing existed until I saw your movie. When was the first time you found out about um, the whole Three Kings kind of phenomena and, how, and when did you know that, you know, this will make for a great movie scene because it works really, really well?
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty special scene. Watching it with audiences in the cinema was great because you could just see them sort of sliding into their their chairs and trying to hide. Um, so yeah, it was really effective. And we, Beth actually discovered this. I didn't know this Three Kings ritual either. Um, so Beth discovered it. We looked into it, and uh, it's interesting because part of it, when you break down what they do, doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. What point of that is like I was looking at it we're still like so what are you actually doing with this or so what's what's the outcome but it was really fun and yeah you know, there's these crazy viral videos on YouTube um so we just really used that as a point of inspiration and it was about about the mirrors and then we essentially just took this idea of how we can build that a mirror can represent good or evil mm-hmm. and um it was an interesting one in in writing because Beth and I you know we bounce ideas off each other and we write separately, then we script it together. And that was one that Beth did the first pass of that scene and it was it was short. It was only about three minutes or so. And normally in script writing, you want to be tightening things up, but I really saw the potential and said, let's expand this. So it turns into about seven minutes, the scene, and I could really just see how you could build and play this element out. Because the big question is, is will the ghost appear in the good or the evil mirror? Um, and that was the one that everyone who read the script who was getting involved in the project, that, that scene really stood out, out to them.
0: What really stands out in that scene as well to me is the, the colour contrast. So the room is really kind of like darkish grey um, and the whole tone is kind of darkish grey and both um, the, the, both adult characters in the film are all wearing black but the character of Ava's got this pink dress on and it really kind of stands out. So when you're talking to your cinematographer, um, Ben Luck, who did um, work on a, a movie that came out last year? It was called Rage, which I thought was fantastic as well. When you're working with Ben and you think about the whole kind of color scheme of that, um, was the pink dress always something that was always in play? Because she's like Ava's supposed to be like this symbol of light or at least some type of vibrancy as compared to like the, the ghostly figure who who would, uh, you know, is throughout the film who's always like gray and such. I mean, the, it's just a, it's a Interesting colour color contrast between the background and, and, and what, in the dress that she's wearing.
1: Yeah, so I'm glad you're picking up on that. It was, um, and it comes back to this bit about how you deliver to an audience things they want to be seeing. You know, you're watching a ghost horror, so there's elements you need to have have in there. And it's also how can you do certain things a bit differently? And so when we decided that we, you know, we're going to go with a child as playing more the medium character, um the cliche would have been to have like a, a little gothic girl mm. type character. And so I thought I will, you know, we'll play against type. And it actually was uh, Ryan, who was our costume designer. When I met with him, I talked about that, that I don't want her to be that goth child. And he said, well, what if we go with a, you know, a bright colour in the scene? Um, and so I said, yeah, that's what we thought was a really interesting idea. Um because also we don't know exactly what she's about and what she's up to initially. Yeah. So there's a mystery around her character. Um, but it's also one of those moments that we made that decision and then later that night I was just like, "Oh, this could really backfire. <laughs> you know, when you when you play against type, you don't know how it will go. Um, and he designed and, and um, actually made that, you know, tailored that dress for her. And when she, you know, came on set with it, I was like, oh, man, this looks great because it does contrast these two colours, as you said, or the, the two colour schemes in the scene. Um, and, and costume ultimately was very important across the whole film. We spent a lot of time looking at all the costumes and back on Kestie's performance, we spent a lot of time going through as her character shifting what's happening with her, her costume. And um, I'm glad to say that risk paid off because I think, yeah, it looks it looks incredible in the scene.
0: I want to talk about something that's really interesting. So we've talked about the influences, specifically specific in films where Exorcist and, and the others, and I guess maybe for a little bit of Rosemary's Baby in there as well. And the thing about your film and, and those ones, which I don't know if there's something you can answer, but the whole aspect of maternal figures in, in these horror movies, um, mm. a lot of times, like in The Exorcist, there is no no, no dad in the picture. kind of similar to your film as well. The Exorcist mm. had, like, the two pre, two priests as the father figures, essentially. Um, and yeah. in, in the case of your movie, the closest thing to a father figure, I guess, is the uncle figure, um, the uncle in the movie. Um, what yes. do you think it is about maternal figures in these movies that stand out in such a way, especially when it comes to harm being done to a child, that the maternal yeah. figure always kind of stands out more than anything else? Because um, I think it's just a really kind of interesting dynamic uh, in, that's in play uh, throughout the whole film.
1: Yeah, and it's also what uh, the film Beth and I both love is uh, The Orphanage, the Spanish. Yeah, it's a good one, yeah. yeah. Beautiful piece of filmmaking. Um, And that's interesting because that is the mother-father looking for a lost lost child and how that affects their relationship. And um, you're spot on. It's a very common um, uh, character design that you have in these stories. And I think part of it uh, just comes down to that, That vulnerability. You know, it's one thing when something's happening to you versus when it's happening to your child. Mm. And what was interesting, Beth and I don't have children. A lot of people thought that we we did when they'd read the screenplay. And it was some writing colleagues and friends who read earlier drafts and gave feedback. You know, they were like, oh, gee, this is this is pretty rough. It made me think of my child or if my child was in this situation. Um, and I think it just hits a very core or fear of, you know, vulnerability in children as well and, and innocence, which Rose represents innocence in the story. And mm. for Natalie, it's like, oh, is this, you know, am I somehow playing a part into this? So there's a guilt element for her character early in the story as well. Is she contributing to it? Is it, you know, is it her fault to some degree?
0: It's really interesting these days, the whole aspect of world building and, um, you know, sequels and spin-offs in and- you know, when I was watching your film, I thought that the character of Ava has really good potential to appear in maybe another film or have something based on, on the character on its own. Have you ever thought about uh, taking that character and doing something more with it? Because I can foresee like the adventures of the you know supernatural adventures of Ava in the future, especially as she, you know, the the actress um, herself Ellie kind of grow, grows older. I think there'll be kind of a little, a little interesting stuff uh, you can do with that. Is there any type of idea kind of like branching that character out in any way
1: <laughs> yeah she's um uh, when we're shooting that on set a few people um, Ben the cinematographer is like ah oh, you know she make a whole great film herself and mm. yeah there's a lot of potential in it and we you know when we're writing that whole storyline with her and her, her father and, and Natalie is I think it's about you know it's five or six scenes and they're all you know great to shoot um, and it's really fun to rehearse. And we did sort of see the potential in in those characters. So yeah, maybe some, somewhere down the track we can can kind of play around with that um, a bit more. But yeah, people are certainly gravitating towards towards her character.
0: I think what's so interesting, you know, is, as we spoke before, it's just so different, you know. And I think that's something I really appreciate watching Surrogate as well. Um, and for everyone out there listening, Surrogate, you can see it now in the States on Amazon and releases September 16 on Google and Tubi. I really recommend people check out this film. Is it, is it right that, uh, like, earlier this year you actually had some theatrical screenings down in Victoria? Yes,
1: yes. We ran it a few cinemas in Melbourne um, and it, uh, it did really well at what was a really tough period to be screening in cinemas. And we uh, it was Sun theatre, which is in Yarraville in Western Melbourne, they uh, ran. Well, it was actually really fun. We we did a tech screening about three weeks before the film was finished because the tough bit with a feature is if it's going to be for the big screen, all of your post production is in on small screens in small rooms. Mm-hmm. So we um uh, the Chrisa Jansen, who's the marketing manager at some theatre who I know. Um, sort of offered that we could do a tech screening. So about 15 of us, so it was mainly the producers, heads of department and a couple of other people, we went into the cinema at midnight to watch the film, which was really fun. Um, and Chris really liked it. So she, you know, program, we programmed a world premiere there and that sold out really quickly. We actually outsold Batman at that cinema that week. Nice. The um, Batman, which was really cool. And we also outsold Morbius, but I found out after the fact that wasn't much of an achievement. <laughs> Um, but, their, but their marketing budget was bigger than ours, so then so they put it on for a, a second screening, and then they just rolled it on for a couple of weeks because it kept kept selling really well. Um, and it was it was great meeting, um, you know, lots of different horror fans and different people who come along to see it, and just seeing their reactions. It was yeah, it was really fun.
0: Well, I saw it at home uh, on my screen, and and I absolutely loved it. It works well both big screen and small from my one indications. And for everyone out there listening, please do check out this movie put it on late at night, grab yourself a popcorn, watch the film, do it by candlelight if you want to. If you want to be even more risky, get a couple mirrors as well. Um, watch this movie, Surrogate. It's really terrific film. I'm a big advocate for Aussie horror, and I think what you did here, David, is a really, really great stuff. You know, thank you so much for your time today. Um, and best of luck with the release, man. I hope it goes really well for you. Early reviews have been very positive. Uh, I'm sure that's going to go on. Uh, I'm sure you're going to get even more reviews as the, Release ramps up. So, um, best of luck to you. And thank you again for your conversation.
1: Thank you for your kind words. And thanks for having me on. It's been great.